you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of a Pack-A-Day podcast. By the time you are listening to this show, it is Cinco de Mayo. So for all my Hispanic friends that are celebrating this holiday, happy Cinco de Mayo. To all my friends that are pretending to be Hispanic today, like I am, happy Cinco de Mayo to you as well. I am your host, Jacob Westendorf, and joining me for the foreseeable future is my Pulse of the Pack co-host and dear friend, the Greybeard, Jason Perone. Jason, how are you feeling today? I'm feeling good. Feliz Cinco de Mayo. Um, I got to be honest, man. I don't know if I'm liking that moniker. I think we have to come up with a new one. So uh, for those of you who have been enjoying the past couple episodes of the Greybeard label, say goodbye to it, our adios on this uh festive day because we're going to have a new one for you next episode and jake i can't wait jake w since we have two jakes today i can't wait to uh to hear what it is but i'm doing well i'm doing well how are you guys i'll come up with something different than if that is the case uh jason coming off of a sweep of my beloved bronx bombers from his arizona diamondbacks so he was sure to remind me about that on thursday uh, early in the week, the Yankees, I don't think, have won a meaningful game in Arizona ever. So it's a house of horrors, and hopefully they never have to play there again. This is a special edition as well. So just to give you guys a, a little synopsis of what's going on here, um, just for a little bit, Jason is going to be joining the show here uh, every Sunday until uh, Andy basically tells us he's not anymore. So that's what you're going to hear. I know you're used to hearing um, Zach's voice, and Zach's just taking a little break. Uh, everything's okay. He just has some things that need to be dealt with, and he's just taking a break for a little bit. So he'll be back, and when he is back, we'll, well, I don't want to say we'll welcome him with open arms because I'm usually mean to him on the show, so I'm going to keep that going here. Uh, but Jason's going to be around for a while, so it's going to be the two of us tonight. However, we're joined by a guest, and he's not affiliated, to my knowledge at least, not affiliated with any blogs or anything. He's just really smart. Um, and a friend through... Twitter direct messaging between myself, Cody Bauer, and Jacob Ogden, or Jake Ogden, at Seeds of Jake. So, Jake, welcome to the show. Tell us about yourself, how you got involved with being a Packers fan, uh, paying attention to football as closely as you do, all that sort of stuff. Hey, well, I appreciate you guys having me on. Um, yeah, I, I started being a fan uh, way, way back 
late 90s and then I became I guess huge through because of Brett Favre so and then um yeah and then I, I worked uh, at Columbia University uh in the scouting department so that's how I kind of became really infatuated with football and then now uh yeah I've been sliding into your DMs with you and Cody so <laughs> That's how it's sort of been lately, just where we just kind of just go back and forth with draft stuff. Yeah, I mean, and it's been a lot of fun. I was going to say we had from what? I think starting in hell, whenever the Packers became irrelevant during the regular season, so like early December until uh, here, obviously the last week when the Packers went through the, the draft process, and we just kind of talked about some guys we like and guys we didn't. But So Jake's here. He's going to help us out for tonight, and we're going to talk uh, quite a few things. Guys, I want to start – on a positive note, uh, former Packers general manager Ted Thompson was elected into the Packers Hall of Fame. Uh, big honor, obviously a deserving honor. Ted Thompson has a lot of accolades uh, that he has deserved. He's a Super Bowl champion. Uh, he was a former player as well, obviously, before that. Uh, several playoff appearances, I believe five NFC Championship games, maybe four. I'll have to do the math real quick in my head before those things go while you guys are talking, but... Uh, drafted Aaron Rodgers, obviously, Jordy Nelson, Clay Matthews, B.J. Raji, the list goes on. Uh, didn't go so well there at the end. Um, the Packers probably hung on to him a year or two too long. Uh, but we're not going to go into the negative stuff for today because if you guys are on Twitter and if you're listening to the show, I assume most of you are, uh, there are plenty of people that have plenty of negative things to say about Ted Thompson. So we're not going to go through those things. Guys, what I want to ask you is, so I'm going to take Aaron Rodgers so that includes drafting him, moving on from Brett Favre to make him the starter, and that first contract extension, I believe it was a six-year, $66 million deal or something like that. It turned into a huge bargain by the time it was time to re-sign Rodgers again uh, in 2012, I believe, is when that happened. Uh, so I'm going to take anything from Rodgers, and we're just going to set that to the side. Um, what, Jacob, we'll start with you since you're the guest. Obviously, we should be you know pleasant hosts here. What do you think is Ted Thompson's greatest move, greatest quality, greatest trait, whatever way you want to look at it, uh, during his tenure in Green Bay? Obviously, like I said, omitting uh, Aaron Rodgers and moving on. Right, right. So for me, his, his greatest move is sort of a collective of how he viewed the wide receiver position. I mean, he absolutely killed it year in and year out. And, and like when, he, when we first when we drafted Jordan Nelson, we traded back out of the first round and took this unknown guy from Kansas State. And people had no idea, and it took him, uh, uh, took him what, like three years to develop. And then all of a sudden exploded on the scene with Rodgers in the Super Bowl. So I think, and then, and then he, he was able to find Greg Jennings, who I think right now is not a, a, a great topic. But, I mean, Greg Jennings, when he was a Packer, was one of the best, in my opinion, to ever do it. Uh, four Packers wide receivers, and then he got James Jones in the third. Um, I mean, the list goes on. He found Randall Cobb in the second. Like he just absolutely killed it with wide receivers. Yeah, and something that I always found interesting about that was, you know, if you ask Ron Wolf what his biggest regret was as a general manager was not giving Brett Favre enough weapons, kind of relying on the quarterback to, you know, make chicken salad out of, you know what. Um, so that was interesting that Ted was able to do that. You mentioned some guys, Devontae Adams in the second round. He's obviously blossomed into a star. That was another Ted draftee. It's kind of why, you know, going into 
this this draft process, I always said I have a rule and I don't make the rules, I just enforce them, and that is regardless of what receiver I like or you like or whoever likes, if the Packers draft him in the third round or earlier, he's a stud. Uh, and those are just the rules. The only receiver that he really missed on in the third round or earlier, there's two. One was Terrence Murphy, and that was because of a career-ending injury, so nothing that Ted could have foreseen there. And the other uh, was Ty Montgomery, who converted to running back, and I'm kind of a Ty Montgomery truther and think he could actually be really useful if used properly, but the Packers didn't have the right head coach to do that. I was always kind of curious how he would do with Matt LaFleur, but obviously after last year's debacle in L.A., that was that was not going to be something that would happen, but... A lot of good guys you mentioned there. The receiver thing is certainly there. Jason, uh, you and Ted are like 10 years, well, five years apart in age or something like that, I think. Uh, So, I mean, maybe you connect with him on a more personal level than the others uh, do. But what do you think was Ted's greatest, uh, you know, achievement as the Packers general manager? Well, so like you said, you know, he and I attended the alumni event together, uh, you know, a couple years ago. So I actually got to chat with him personally. No, that's actually not true. For those of you out there who, now, obviously, think that I'm about to, to start collecting Social Security and got my ARP card. That is, in fact, not the case. My um, prestigious co-host here thinks he's a funny man. But uh, I do want to remind him, yes, by the way, uh, Diamondbacks ran the Yankees out of uh, Chase Field and Aaron Boone um, got tossed for whining like a bee. All right, so, um, yeah, Ted, to me, uh, easy Packers Hall of Fame uh, choice. And honestly... Um, saw a lot of debate about Ted in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I don't know. I mean, we're biased because we're Packers fans. They won a Super Bowl, so of course we want our team to get the accolades. And it's always cool when one of your one of your own makes it into that. That's you know that's the that's the big show. But for me, it was uh, you know if you're not gonna if you're gonna take the Favre Rogers situation out of it, um, for me it was signing Charles Woodson. Because Woodson was a big risk. It was obviously something that at the time we didn't really think much of because the Packers were middling. They had, they had just come off of a really crappy 4-12 and season. And Charles Woodson was garnering no interest around the league. So at the time that he was signed, everybody was like, oh, okay, well, Woodson signed with Green Bay because no one else wanted him. Why did we sign him if nobody else, if something's wrong with him? And it turns out that uh, Charles Woodson revived his career, would win a Defensive Player of the Year award, and he would be a vital part of the Super Bowl run in 2010 and add a lot of a lot of really, really positive presence to that locker room. You know, the one thing we know about Aaron Rodgers, he doesn't really necessarily prefer to be the alpha. You know, he's an alpha male, but he doesn't prefer to be the man in the locker room. I think he functions better when he doesn't have to be the biggest voice in the room. He can just be a big voice. So guys like Charles Woodson and Ryan Pickett and, you know, Tremont for a time, Nick Collins, you know, those guys really kind of carried the vibe in the locker room and Aaron Rodgers kind of just low key play quarterback. So the Woodson signing was big for me. And I don't think that Packers defense is what it is without him inflecting some of that attitude uh, I'm grateful to Ted. I'm happy for him. This was an easy, like I said, this was an easy choice. And you know, at this point now too, he becomes a revered part of our of, of our story uh, as as a Packers organization and as Packers fans. And I just hope that you know, I know that he's obviously dealing with, with something. Um, 
and I hope that everything turns out okay because he did he did do a lot for the organization and he's obviously Packers family. So for me, it's the Woodson signing and congrats, Ted, on getting into the Packers Football Hall of Fame. Yeah, absolutely. Congratulations. Um, a lot, a lot there. Let me be the first to say that. Um, okay. Um, let me be the oh. Let me be the first to say that. Uh, Sorry, guys, I had some distraction there. But let me be the first to say that uh, I was not alone in saying that Ted Thompson uh, was deserving of this, obviously. I also, apparently, if Jason was accurate, I was certainly not wondering why the Packers signed Charles Woodson, but I was also 14 years old at the time when they signed him, and he was like the first football player I ever really admired uh, from his days at Michigan and winning the Heisman Trophy. So... I think that uh, I was going to – it was never going to take much to talk me into liking Charles Woodson as a Packer. You mentioned those things. You guys have brought up some really good things. I think those are certainly in the conversation. For me, I'm going to use the 2009 NFL draft. Uh, The Packers were in a transition, like you mentioned. They they went from 2007 NFC title game. We all know how it ended. Brett Favre throws it away. And then the next year, the Packers go from that high hopes – Starting new starting quarterback, but they still had high hopes, and they went six and ten, and they fired their defensive coordinator and pretty much their entire coaching staff, save for Mike McCarthy, and hired Dom Capers and are transitioning to this three four defense. And as they're transitioning, they basically—I mean—they have a top ten pick that was certainly helpful, uh, but they needed some pieces because obviously they had built this four three defense for. Quite some time, uh, you know. The Packers hadn't run a three-four, and you know, since forever ago. And trying to build a new defense on the fly while also building a contender is tough, uh, you know, especially when your best defensive player at the time was Aaron Campman, and you're asking him to go from this is in an era too where four-three DN, three-four outside linebacker mattered a lot more than it does now. Uh, so it mattered back then, and in order to do that, you know, you've got he picks the nose tackle, he takes B.J. Raji in two thousand and nine. Uh, what does B.J. Raji do? He becomes an all-pro type player in 2010. Uh, dances in the end zone at Soldier Field. And something I will never forget is him standing in the end zone at Soldier Field and knowing that the Packers, or at least feeling at the time that I knew the Packers were going to the Super Bowl. And then the story of him going and trading back up to get Clay Matthews is a really good one. I can't remember, and maybe one of you guys can point it out for me. Somebody tweeted about this story during the draft process, but eventually, you know, Matthews kept dropping and dropping. And basically, right after that, Ted Thompson turns to his guys and says, okay, let's go get that linebacker. And they traded back into the first round. They got Clay Matthews, who went on to become the franchise's all-time leader in sacks. Maybe the biggest play of the game as far as the Super Bowl goes uh, in that Super Bowl. He was a runner-up defensive player of the year that year. That draft really did set up the Packers' fortune for the next five years, six years. And they made that transition very quick because he hit on those two first-round picks. If the Packers are to you know, win another Super Bowl here in the next three or four years with Aaron Rodgers at quarterback, I think there's a possibility that Packers fans look at this offseason, the one that they just had for Brian Gutekunst, very similarly to the way that we look at that offseason with Ted Thompson. I think that you know, like I mentioned, there's some negatives that came with Ted, certainly. There's negatives with everybody. Um, but, you know, I think that the biggest thing 
that we can take out of this is that Ted was great for a really long time, and I really do think that time is going to be kind to him as as time passes. We'll understand how great he really was. But we're going to move on uh, from Ted Thompson. Uh, congratulations again, Packers Hall of Fame forever and ever. Uh, <laughs> I kind of wish I was there. I, I always enjoyed Ted's really dry sense of humor. Uh, Jake, Jason, I don't know if you guys have seen this or not, but the, the clip of him at the Combine saying Gronk and then like that just dry smile is one of the funniest things I have ever seen in the last you know five years or so. So I really enjoyed that. We're going to transition a little bit to a story that came out this week. And I know it's a few days old, but I think it's kind of a big story. You know, if you were ranking top 10 players, I mean, Jake, well, I guess I could start here. Mike Daniels, you would say probably falls in the top 10 of best players on the team. Is that right? I, I would say so. I mean, at the very least top 15, but I mean, he's still 29. So yeah, I would say he's, yeah, yeah he's got to be top 10 and, and most important players on this on this team right now sure i think that's fair to say i think we can agree with that uh, so when a story comes out about one of your 10 best players potentially being on the chopping block it it makes some waves and the story came out and tom silverstein and i'm going to highlight it uh just a little bit and i'm paraphrasing something so forgive me on that but basically it says that you know mike daniels doesn't fit the size requirements or the size profile that uh, brian gutekunst is establishing for his defensive lineman and that's true uh, Mike Daniels also doesn't really fit the size requirement for defensive lineman in general. He was a smaller guy. That's why one of the reasons why he was a fourth-round pick. Uh, the other thing it says in there is that the Packers could look to trade him or even potentially release him. And I kind of want to get on that a little bit just because here's my thought on it at this point. Everybody is so enamored with this idea of salary cap space And it sounds like a great thing because the Packers have had a healthy salary cap for years and years. My thought on it is very simple. The Packers made their all-in move. They pushed their chips to the center this offseason with the Smith brothers, Adrian Amos, Billy Turner. Picking in the top 15 and then trading back into the top 25, which we'll talk to here in a little bit. Being aggressive on draft day. You don't do those things and then do something to make your team worse in 2019. Now... Am I of the belief that it's very easy to see that Mike Daniels is probably not going to be back in Green Bay in 2020? Absolutely. But as far as 2019, I mean, to make a trade worthwhile, the Packers could probably expect to get a third-round compensatory pick for Mike Daniels if they were to not sign any free agents, obviously. So in order to do that, I mean, we're talking a second-round pick and higher. And nobody's trading a second-round pick or higher for a player who... Mike Daniels has always been pretty good. I don't think he's ever been great. And when I say great, I'm talking like Aaron Donald, Geno Atkins, J.J. Watt in his prime, those kinds of players. Daniels was very good. He was never those guys. I don't think anybody's trading anything to make that worthwhile. So I see no reason to get rid of Mike Daniels. This year, you can make it to where your your starting defensive line is... Mike Daniels, Kenny Clark, and Dean Lowry if they're going to go uh, with three base defensive linemen like that. So I see no reason to get rid of him. Jason, we were talking a little bit before the show. I mean, here's, I guess, the other thought I have on it. The money that you would save from cutting him, is it's not like they're going to get a better player. It's not like they're going to go find a 
you know, a stud level wide receiver or a tight end that steps in and makes an immediate impact or a starting right tackle for next year or something like that. It's not, I mean, they're not going to be able to use that money for anything except for it'll just sit there. And I see, I see no purpose for that myself. But Jason, what are your thoughts on Silverstein's points on Mike Daniels? Well, Silverstein's point was that he doesn't fit the athletic profile anymore for what the Packers are trying to do, and that Gutekunst is built over the the last couple of years with the guys that he's brought in, and then you got to throw some of the guys that were in there already, which is Lowry and Clark, and they're just a little bit um, taller. I mean, Mike Daniels is uh, rock solid. You know, his wrestling background has made him successful in eating up blockers and pushing through double teams. I mean, you know, if there's one where one area where Mike Daniels could potentially be in the conversation with like an Aaron Donald, it's it's how well he takes on double teams, but obviously nowhere near the production. Cutting Mike Daniels is absolutely asinine. There's no reason for it. It's unacceptable. The the cap savings, you know, you you just made the point um Jake W. <laughs> to use the initials on this show, we have two Jakes. Um, it's the same, I, not the same situation, but it's a similar theory to to the same people. I think you would agree who are, are saying cut Brian Bulaga to save cap space. You know, you're just creating you're creating one hole to to save in another area. So, but the thing about Daniels, now I thought about this the other day, my random thoughts, and it's like. You know, Mike Daniels is right in that sweet spot where he's going to be up for a third contract, which historically the Packers have not paid very many players. There aren't many players that have gotten that third deal. Randall Cobb just got sent away. He did not get a third deal, and he's probably a year or two younger than Daniels is right now. Um, it, financially, what it's going to probably take to sign Mike Daniels or extend Mike Daniels, because he has to know at this point – that he's going to want to test the market and figure out what his value is, which means, um, and I, I think he would. Well, I think he would sign an extension with Green Bay if they were willing to offer him one, because that would give him a chance to finish his career in one place and not have to move his family around. But to max out, if he wants to max out and, and really truly get paid every penny that he can, then he needs to wait out the season and, and um, test free agency to see what what he could get, even if the Packers did want to be in the mix. And I just don't think financially that it makes a ton of sense based on what they've got going on right now in terms of their personnel. And they've got, they're going to have another chance to load up again next year in the draft and in free agency um, and, and bring in a guy that's, you know, potentially fits the defense a little bit better or can give you some or most of what Mike Daniels is giving at this point in his career and not have to pay the oodles of millions of dollars to do it. So, I mean, I know that's not what fans want to hear because they love 76 and he's become uh, entrenched as a, you know, a big part of the heart of this team. And I'm sitting here talking about it just from a financial standpoint, but that's really what it is for me. So if you have, it only takes one team to entice the Packers to make that move. You know, I, I think they'd be lucky to, you know, maybe get a fifth rounder at this point, because you've got a guy that's approaching 30 and, you know, Daniels hasn't put up big numbers. That's not really been his job. His job has been to create for other guys. So, you know, he's not a flashy stats guy. Um, but if, if they some team really needs it or they want him and they want to grab another two years of a solid and they're, they're willing to give up a third or a fourth round pick, 
I think the Packers have to listen. Even if it does create a little bit of a hole this year, you're not you're not punting on the 2019 season by any means. Not right now, and they shouldn't at any point. But you got to be smart about it from a business standpoint. So that's that's kind of how I approach it. I don't care about the measurables that Silverstein pointed out because this is Mike Daniels. You know, he's a dog. He's he's a he's a football player, and I've talked about that term several times that the Packers needed more. They need more football players. Mike Daniels totally checks that box. So he's a guy you want on your roster. But as with any player, with the exception of maybe a few, if the price is right, you know, the the Packers at least need to listen. Yeah, I think the only way that I would myself be willing to entertain a trade offer for Mike Daniels is like if Green Bay starts the year on a sour note and – Say they're one and well, I don't know how many weeks there are until the trade deadline. Say they're one and six or something like that. Now we hope that's not the case, but just a realm of possibility here. And if they do kind of a baseball esque sell them off for a draft pick kind of thing, and you know, kind of get the comp pick year similar to what they did with Ha Ha Clinton Dix. You know, the Packers made that trade solely because I think that well, one, they knew they weren't going to pay him. Two, they were just trying to get that comp pick early. And they didn't think that the team was very good. I think that's the other uh, part of it that we didn't talk about nearly enough. Jake, what are your thoughts on on this story and the status of Daniels with the team this year and then beyond? Yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was kind of interesting it, it coming out, obviously, right after the draft. And, and I think that everyone's kind of obsessing over all these all these Gutekunst thresholds that we're now seeing of, like, he wants these big, strong athletes. Um, and, and I look at it as kind of like this, like, where is, if, if they were to cut him, where, where is he at with his, with his ankle, health-wise? And they clearly drafted guys like Kingsley Kiki um, and Rashawn Gary to possibly kick inside on third downs. And they also brought in Zadarius Smith to kick in on third downs. <laughs> and then you kind of wonder, the, the, you know, does Dean Lowry take a jump? You kind of wonder where where is Mike Daniels going to be on third downs because that's that's his forte is the pass rush uh, on third downs and he I remember he was getting kind of annoyed when he got taken off the field uh, a couple of years ago and now so I wonder this is kind of where I, I don't think that they're going to release him unless they feel like there's something wrong injury wise but I do think they I I don't see them trading him unless there's something crazily enticing them to to go after that so I think that we kind of seen this draft and then also seeing what they've done in free agency, which we haven't seen in a while, uh, that I think that they're, I think they're transitioning to move on from Daniels in 2020, and they're going to save the cap space by doing that, by not giving that third contract. Like Jason said, it's just, it's rare for them to do it. So I think that, they, I think that like, I think Gutekunst is basically building his team the way he likes it, bigger guys, and I think they're going to keep Daniels because he's a dog. And I think why why move on from him now? And he's still at twenty nine. He's got a lot left. I think it's just all depending on where he is with his leg. But so I kind of I, I would be shocked if they let him go or trade him. Yeah, I would I would be as well for this season specifically. Now twenty twenty, you mentioned it. I mean, as far as guys that you're going to have to renew, Kenny Clark, David Bakhtiari, those are some extensions that we're looking at in the future. Speaking of guys that are going to get third contracts, there's David Bakhtiari. He will. Um, but you're right, it is very rare. And in that rarity, that means, I think, I mean, if you look at the guys that have gotten third contracts in Green Bay, 
just off the top of my head, uh, Aaron Rodgers, Hall of Famer. Uh, Jordy Nelson, I believe, got a third contract. He was an extremely productive player uh, throughout his time in Green Bay. David Bakhtiari is going to get one. He's an all-pro left tackle. Mike Daniels, like we've mentioned, I mean, and this isn't meant to be disrespectful, Mike Daniels is a very good player. And the reality of the situation, though, is like special guys are special for a reason. It's because there are not very many of them. There aren't, you know, there aren't a ton of guys like Aaron Donald. There aren't a ton of guys like J.J. Watt in his prime. That's why, you know, the Packers, if, if they really are giving out contracts, it's for special players. Uh, and I don't think Mike Daniels fits that bill. Now, that stinks. I don't necessarily want him to go play somewhere else. I enjoy, you know, when Mike Daniels goes on one of his – I mean, I know that maybe his style of leadership reportedly has rubbed some people the wrong way. Um, but when I hear him talk about, you know, wanting to build this defense and all that sort of stuff, you know, that – those things, I uh, I really enjoy those, and I'm ready to you know run through a wall when Daniels is done talking about those sorts of things. So it's going to be interesting to monitor. Uh, if you look at you know for next year, the big names that are free agents uh, coming up for Green Bay just next off season, it's Blake Martinez and Mike Daniels. Those are the big ones. We'll see what happens with Blake Martinez. Uh, I think that'll be something to follow. Uh, but Mike Daniels, I think you can bet pretty soundly that this is his final season. In Green Bay, so let's send him out with a Super Bowl ring. Why the hell not, uh, guys? This is kind of a perfect transitioning point. We are here to kind of wrap up the draft coverage for the Pack a Day podcast, and we are talking today about the Packers' biggest hits and misses in this year's draft, uh, and that can mean a lot of different things. Uh, according to you know, I think draft value is something that it's totally in the eye of the beholder. You know, there are people who said, for example, Brian Gutekunst should not have traded up to get Darnell Savage. And then Gutekunst says like two days later, I know for a fact he wouldn't have been there at 30 and that's the guy they targeted. And they thought that the safety class wasn't very deep. I think Gutekunst really let you in on their thought process when asked about Darnell Savage uh, specifically you know, somebody could say, oh, this player is great value in the third round. Well, maybe, but, you know, maybe he stinks too. That's also very possible. So something I, I want to get out of the way is when we're talking about hits and misses here, like, for example, if somebody says, and and we don't know what the other is going to say here, but if somebody says Rashawn Gary was a miss, that doesn't mean that we think he's a bust or anything like that. It's just... You know, we would have picked somebody else or something like that at, at that specific point in time. But let's go through, we're just going to go through, you know, pick by pick here and just say, like, you know, if you guys were on the clock, if we were on the clock at that time, is that the player or position you would have targeted? And if so, you know, then we'll kind of call it a hit. If it's not, so we'll start at pick 12, for example. I think all three of us, and Jason, I know this for a fact because we were <laughs> together as this happened. Uh, when they picked Rashawn Gary, and Jake, I also kind of know what you're going to say here, but I mean, at 12 overall, I think I can safely say between the three of us, that is not the player we would have targeted, correct? Yeah, correct. Jason's nodding. So, okay, yeah, that's, there you go. So the three of us, we would not have taken Rashawn Gary. So if you want to call that a miss, that's kind of the way we're going to approach this because I don't want to call a player good or bad or one way or the other. Here's something... Uh, that I will say I have not had a chance personally 
to address this pick on a podcast since it was made. Um, and that's something that's unfortunate uh, for a lot of different reasons. But here's kind of my thought. Um, I have watched every single snap of Rayshon Gary's – or, excuse me, it's Rashawn Gary. And I keep calling him Rayshon, and I got corrected by somebody about that. So it's Rashawn Gary. I've watched every single snap of Rashawn Gary's career uh, since he was recruited to Michigan, all that sort of stuff. From a character standpoint, as far as people that have talked about him, teammates that have played with him, I've got friends in New Jersey that uh, know him through other people. So they've kind of they're not like friends with him, but they do know who he is, that sort of thing. Can't don't have enough they don't have enough nice things to say about the guy. So from a character standpoint, everything that I have on that information is very, very high. Um from a work ethic standpoint, because I feel like this has been a unfair criticism. The coaches that have discussed Rashawn Gary since the draft process started. Don Brown, old school coach. Greg Madison, old school coach. Jim Harbaugh. I assume everybody that listens to this podcast is familiar with at least one of those guys. Those guys aren't saying things just to say them. And they could not speak highly enough about Rashawn Gary either. Now, none of this means Rashawn Gary is going to be a good player because there are questions to be had. His lack of production is a question because he is that gifted of a player to the point where you are asking, okay, if you are that damn good and that athletically gifted, how are you not sacking the quarterback more often? How are you not hitting the quarterback more often? Fair questions. Uh, Pointing to his character, not fair. Saying he doesn't love football, not fair. Because Rashawn Gary was hurt during the season, missed some games, and came back when he didn't have to. He could have very easily sat out the rest of the season and everybody would have understood. Uh, I don't think somebody who doesn't love football does those things. So that is my quick synopsis of the Rashawn Gary pick. Uh, but I have spoken far too much. So, Jake, 12 overall comes on the board. We're looking at the, you know, we're looking at our own personal big boards and who are we picking and what are we doing and what are we thinking. So, in your case, if you were in Brian Gutekunst's chair, who would you have taken at that slot? I, I'm guessing you probably already know this, but when I saw the fact that, that uh, Brian Burns was sitting there at 12, I would have jumped all over him. And, and this is not to say that, that, that I don't think that Rashawn Gary is going to be a player or not, but I think you hit it perfectly. I think he's got a great character. He's proven it with, with doing the shoulder injury. That's my biggest concern with, with Rashawn Gary more than anything. Is that he's got this, we, I, we don't really fully know because he's, he's denied it, but a torn labrum. And we have, we have a certain player on our roster now that had dealt with a torn labrum in Kevin King, and he has been banged up ever since with either or both, both shoulders. So that's my biggest concern. The pass rusher that needs his to succeed in, in, in the NFL is his arms. And I think that that is, that is my biggest concern with him. And that's why I kind of I lean towards the miss where it's like, and, and having a guy like Brian Burns who was super productive at Florida State and an incredible athlete, that's where I've kind of like, I would have leaned towards him. And we, we don't have a pass rusher like Brian Burns on this roster. And that's where it kind of felt a little bit kind of a bit of a huh? Like I, I'm not, I, I 
didn't really understand why they why they went towards a Rashawn Gary at that moment, just because we had those kind of we kind of already had the Darius Smith that can kick inside on third down. So that's why I would say he's missed. It's funny because I think in all the scenarios that we laid out throughout our direct message chain, I don't think this was ever discussed, the idea that Rashawn Gary could be the guy at that spot. Although looking at the trend that is Brian Gutekunst as a general manager so far, probably should have been. Um, I'm with you. That's who I would have taken uh, was Brian Burns. And for a lot of the reasons you laid out, he's different from the pass rushers we have. However, it appears clear uh, the Packers have a type of edge rusher that they like. So Mike Patton, uh, supposedly, I've never seen anything too concrete on this, but there have been whispers that Patton stumped for Gary in a similar way that he did for Muhammad Wilkerson. And Mo Wilk worked out very well for the New York Jets before he got paid. Uh, and obviously, you know, he came to Green Bay, so we're familiar with that situation. If I have a positive, well, I have more than one positive, obviously, but the biggest positive that I can tell you is if if there is a coaching staff in this league and a group of people that I can feel very good about taking the box of tools that is Rashawn Gary and molding him, Mike Patton, Jerry Montgomery, and Mike Smith, all three guys that have had people around the league rave about them, especially Mike Smith, uh, D. Ford, Justin Houston, Chris Jones, all of them have raved about Mike Smith being able to help them. Those are the guys I'm looking for. Jason, we were together. I don't, I mean, I know Devin Bush, once you basically, once he was gone, you basically said you didn't care. But I mean, it, I know that we didn't think that that was going to be the case. So if that were the case at the time, who's on, who's on board for you? Well, Oliver and Ed Oliver and Devin Bush went back-to-back picks. So for me, that was devastating because those were my two guys. Oliver, I think we knew, was a low probability of getting there. Um, I'm not a huge Brian Burns guy. They've gone defense on a lot of their, their first picks. So I think at that point, I was thinking maybe, okay, maybe you go – um, with Fant, the tight end, he obviously lasted, I think, until pick 20. Correct. Or 21. So the league just, the league wouldn't have, you know, that, that might have been a reach there. Um, the Gary pick just caught me off guard. I wasn't expecting it, and I wasn't, you know, it took me a day to kind of come down off of, okay, this, because there, there's so much buildup and anticipation. And you're hoping that your guy is going to get there. And we've seen the past couple of drafts, we've seen some crazy things happen. You know, three years ago in 2016, it was Miles Jack falling out of the first round and me jumping up and down literally in front of my TV screen, screaming at what I thought was Ted Thompson to take Jack. And that was obviously a good decision that they didn't. Uh, that's why we need to remember that the experts know what they're doing. And we, always, we don't always because Kenny Clark is um, about to get paid and they picked up his fifth-year option, so that would be an example of a hit of a draft pick. So I'm not going to say Gary's a miss. I just wasn't expecting him. You know, that was that was uh, was more of a surprise than anything. It's like one of those things where, you know, you accidentally trip and fall, and it's not that you're hurt. It's you're embarrassed or you're, you're just surprised. You know, it's that's your reaction, and it just takes you a second to get your bearings and then realize, hey, you got to give it some time. It's you know it's hard. This this is a tough episode because 
we're we're trying to assign you know who's a hit and who's a miss seven days after these guys have been drafted and none of them have put on a, um, you know put on the pads yet they have put on an NFL uniform they were in minicamp uh, this past week but they haven't put the pads on yet so it's tough to say but I'm not one that's um, that's that's worried about Gary panning out I mean I want to give it some time I will tease this I did write about what um, you know what, what Jake mentioned which is the shoulder issue, the Packers are no stranger to this because of the Kevin King situation over the past two years. So, you know, are they going to, is this going to work out? Because Kevin King so far has ended two seasons on injured reserve. Now, last year it was his other shoulder, it was his right shoulder, and he also had a hamstring issue. So it wasn't the same issue. You know, he had the surgery after 2017 on the labrum on the left side. He played through his entire college career with that shoulder injury, and he still got drafted high in the second round. So it's not a foregone conclusion that this, you know, Gary's going to bust out, even if he does run into issues with his shoulder. But, you know, it's, it's something to monitor. But I, I wrote about that for uh, on Cheesehead TV, and that'll be out on Monday morning, just talking a little bit about the, the injuries and, you know, how risky is it really. Yeah, so something you want to pay attention to. I will say this. I was encouraged to hear Gary say no surgery at all. Simply because at that point, Gary's already been drafted. He's going to get a signing bonus, blah, blah, blah. He doesn't gain anything from lying about that. It's not like he's going to be picked six picks sooner because of something about his shoulder. you know. So that's kind of where I'm at on that. That was an encouraging thing, at least for me. Uh, so it remains to be seen on that. Pick 21, it was originally pick 30. They traded two fourth-round picks. Uh, to move up and select Darnell Savage, my favorite safety in this year's draft. No questions asked. I mentioned that before. Uh, I mentioned it on April 3rd. So if anybody wanted to say that I only say that because the Packers took uh, took him, uh, that's not true. I also did say before the – so here's kind of a few things I wanted to address. One was that. Two was I did say before the draft I wouldn't want the Packers to pick a safety in the first round. However – I do think that after listening to what Gutekunst had to say about the safety class, and he didn't think it was a very deep group, which kind of contradicts what some people in the draft world thought. And so with that in mind, I'm okay with the Packers going and getting their guy. Uh, You know, it's very clear that that was the player they had targeted. They didn't target the position. It's different where, you know, like in the draft process early in the year, we're kind of talking about, um, you know, we're kind of talking about how, you know, the Packers need to come away with just a pass rusher. It doesn't really matter which one. We didn't care which one at the time. And then it goes from that to get this guy, get this player. Targeting a player, that says how much that staff really likes him, and it's hard not to get excited about Darnell Savage. Uh, missed opportunity to not give him number 21 in <laughs> as far as his jersey number goes. Uh, but we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and ignore that. So, Jake, when they traded up, did you think they were targeting safety? Would you have targeted Savage, or did you like somebody else? No, I, I'm kind of with you. I, I was not expecting safety at all in the first round. Like, I, I right when they traded up, I thought of two players or three, I guess. I either thought it was gonna be Andre Dillard, or it was either gonna be DK Metcalf or Hollywood Brown. And I was, I was so sure that, like, why would they target? I just didn't really see safety as just because I felt like the, the class originally was, when I first looked at it, like, just 
overview, I didn't think it was super deep. And the more you get into it, you're like, well, this class is actually very deep. And you can kind of go through it. And, and I was, a guy that I was really high on was Juan Thornhill um, and, and Nasir Adderley. So I, I, I kind of fell into to, uh, Savage. Uh, I fell in love with him a little bit later in the process. One, because I didn't, like, I thought he was a little bit too small at 5'11", uh, 198. I thought he was a little bit too small for the Packers' liking. And then uh, he... But the way he tested was was well in their range, so I kind of pushed him to the side late in the process. And then when when they picked him, I was like, when I I, I plugged back into the film and watched him, and I thought it was an absolute perfect fit for what for what Mike uh, Pettin does. So I, I love the fact that they they went up and got him. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at as far as as far as that went for the safety position, Jason. Again, we were together for that. I was all smiles, like I mentioned. You know, I I know that before the draft, I had said that's not what I wanted them to do. When they traded up, I was I thought you know one of the receivers was possible. I I did think that, uh, like Jake mentioned, Andre Dillard. If they were going to go offensive line, that seemed to be the logical one. Uh, the left tackle po- possibility there, um, as far as those go, but that's not where they went. They went safety. So. Jason, I'm going to speed this up a little bit, um, but yeah, were you thinking Savage, or you know, where were you going at as far as those go? No, it wasn't Savage. I was thinking it was going to be a wide receiver. I pretty much echo Jake. I think it was, I was thinking Metcalf or uh, maybe even Nikhil Harry if they thought that he was going to go way sooner than um, than he did, and they wanted him, and he was their guy because they did attend ASU's pro day. Now we know in hindsight that one of the players that they came away really liking and that they signed as an undrafted free agent was Manny Wilkins, the quarterback, which makes this former Sun Devil very happy. But he's got a long road to make the roster, and it's a far far from a, a, um, you know, a given that he's going to be on, a, on the Packers roster. But it's really cool to see Manny Wilkins give it a shot with the Packers. I thought it was wide receiver all the way. And for me, if it was going to be, I'll be honest with you, at that point, I was hoping for Metcalf. I know that he's got his you know questions about him, but – you, you can't argue with that build and that size, and, and Aaron Rodgers getting him the ball wouldn't have, wouldn't have been the worst thing in the world. Yeah, I, I find it funny that the team that picked him has no desire to throw the ball at all, uh, but that could make their running offense, I guess, even more scary in the fact that Metcalf could blow the top off of it. Uh, that, of course, being the Seattle Seahawks um, that picked Metcalf late in the second round. Day two, I'm going to lump it all together here. So for day two, the Packers took Elton Jenkins, uh, interior offensive lineman and Jay Sternberger, the tight end uh, from Mississippi State. So, Jay Sternberger, the tight end in the third round. I think at that point, it just made perfect sense. He was a third round pick that seemed about where the Packers would have liked him, and they had him in on a pre-draft visit. And he's available when they're on the clock in the third round, and they make that pick. It makes sense to me. Uh, I really like Sternberger as as far as somebody. I think anybody that's listened and we've talked, all three of us have talked about this at one point or another with the other. I didn't want a tight end at 12. If I did, I wanted it to be Noah Fant. Um, And once he wasn't available, I was okay with waiting. Uh, The Packers were never going to draft Irv Smith. He didn't fit their athletic profile, their size profile. It just didn't make a lot of sense. Sternberger, from an athleticism point, doesn't make a lot of sense. But his tape is very good. And I, I would like to know when we started to fetishize run blocking for tight ends because 
Sternberger is an average blocker. To me, that's good enough. Uh, if he becomes a vertical threat with the ball in his hands, that's what I care about the most as far as a tight end in the modern game. So that's what I'm excited about for him. Jenkins, I was thinking that was a wide receiver there, um, but I can't argue with picking an offensive lineman, especially considering how bad the Packers guards and really line play as a whole was a year ago. So I was thinking receiver, but I can't complain too much. Jake, let's lump day two all together. Oh, I will say this for those that listened as well. Uh, Aaron Campman announced the Sternberger pick and he, he broke my heart because again, his name is Jace Sternberger and Campman mispronounced his name and said his first name was Chase. So I thought the Packers were taking Chase Winovich, and I was heartbroken two seconds later when he said Sternberger. So Aaron Campman, we're fighting. Uh, Jake, day two, was there anything uh, from those two picks that you were looking at that was hoping a little different? Uh, the ones that I thought were a little bit different, I thought I thought with the Jenkins pick, I thought they were going to go wide receiver just because of the fact that uh, uh, Metcalf fell that far, and I was – I mean, I'm a big Metcalf fan, so I thought that that, that was going to be the guy. The fact that he fell to the second round, um, but I'm guessing either they they didn't like his agility test, or, or that they had a problem with his neck injury. Um, and, and I and I wasn't even thinking or considering that they would take a guy like like Jenkins, just because his interior lineman. The Packers haven't taken interior lineman in forever like that, where they usually take a left tackle and then transition him to another position. So it was it was a pretty big sort of uh, threshold break by Gutekunst again. So I thought that that was – and looking at him, I thought it was a great fit too. It made sense, um, especially because Lane Taylor does not fit uh, uh, LaFleur's uh, zone blocking scheme. So I think that is, that is a smooth transition whether they cut him or not this year or when they move on from him next year. But for me, the biggest, the biggest hit – was Jay Sternberger by far? I think that I, I'm with you. I think look, is he good at blocking? No, but but he gives enough effort for you to like him. And I think that, that they were talking about getting bringing in a big slot receiver. Well, there's your big slot receiver, a six foot four, 250 pound flex tight end. And I think it's I think that if they can bring him bring him along like most tight ends, and I'm with you, I would have probably taken I would have liked Fan as well. And and so the fact that they those are the two tight ends, the Iowa tight ends. And if you don't go to them, then just wait for one. And I and I and I was not a big fan of Irv um, either. So I had I had Jace as my third tight end. So I felt like it was I couldn't believe he lasted that long. So it was it was a great great fit, and I, I really think he's going to be one of the bigger surprises in this class. That would certainly be interesting, Jason. Day two, we didn't talk a ton, but. Um... What were your thoughts with those guys? Well, this is why it's nice to have the extra man on tonight's show because you guys are the draft Knicks and I'm just the third guy. So you guys pretty much covered most of it. I didn't know a lot about Jenkins. I'll trust the Packers if they're picking an offensive lineman. I know that the whole Jason Spriggs situation a couple years ago was not great, but I'm going to trust this regime. I didn't know much about him, and everything I've read and seen since the pick has been positive, so I'm excited about that. And I, I love the Sternberger pick. He's, he's a great Packers player. What I like about him, the biggest thing for him is that, you know, he seems to be more of a pure pass-catching tight end. Jake hit the nail right on the head. There's your big slot receiver. And what I like about Sternberger 
that I saw most when I watched his tape was his ability to catch the ball in traffic. I think he's going to be able to fight through the garbage and and uh, haul the ball, and he's got a decent catch radius. He's not flashy, but the Packers don't need him to be flashy. Just give him you know, safe routes and safe spots to be in, in the offense. It sounds like he can find those and get open, and he happens to be uh, playing with a quarterback that is one of the best in the league at throwing guys open. So that's going to end up being a great pick. I, I agree. Yeah, I'll be curious to see what – Sternberger's role is in his rookie season in the offense just because they didn't bring back Jimmy Graham to sit on the bench. I suppose he could displace Mercedes Lewis as the other guy and Packers favorite, Twitter favorite Robert Tanya is there as well. So I'll be curious to see where Sternberger fits in, but I'm excited to look at uh, look watch him play as well. Um, again, I, I I don't really understand the obsession with whether or not this player can block. I've you know I've often said. And this is the point I made about Noah Fant uh, throughout the process was when somebody said, "Does Fant really fit what Lafleur wants to do?" And I've always said, if you're you know if great players don't fit your scheme, get a better scheme or get a different scheme because somebody like that you should be able to fit a a stretch the field type tight end very similar like in this case with Jay Sternberger. You should be able to fit something like that in your offense really easily. I think day three. Uh, I don't want to go too deep into this, guys. Um, because the draft is four rounds long is kind of the popular theory nowadays. Just real quick, I want you guys to go through what was your favorite pick on day three? Jason, we'll start with you. Man, put me on the spot. Um, I don't know. Day three for me was, you know, I think Butler was the first player taken on day three, right? So I meant was- for the Packers, but yes. Well, yeah, but uh, but the point I'm making is is that he was really the only guy that I was kind of hoping the Packers might might grab, and he's gone right away. So for me, day three was all just kind of kind of gravy. Um, the the Kiki pick is the one that I'm the least um, I'm the most I should say the most skeptical about because I don't know as much about him. I don't know if you know. I, I looked at the fifth rounders over the history, and the Packers have had very mixed success there. I mean, they found Corey Lindsley in round five. They found Micah Hyde in round five. They found Blake Martinez. Actually, I think Blake might have been four, or was he five? They've had some success, and they've obviously had some misses, but at that space of the draft, you're gonna, that's going to happen. So it wasn't that, that surprising to me. Um, the Holman pick was initially the one where I was like, oh, I don't know, but I, I everyone seems to love this kid. His story and what his tape shows, I mean, he had showed some leadership at Toledo on the field. He was kind of calling the, you know, getting the, the secondary set. You want that type of guy on your team, even though I don't think he, you know, if he makes the roster, he's going to be playing on defense. I think he's a special teamer and a bottom of the depth chart guy. Um, so, you know, that that's, that's kind of my takeaway. I mean, everyone else, I'm just kind of, you know, holding out to see what they do in minicamp and um, how they can, they can contribute because I just don't, you know, I don't know how much those guys are historically going to contribute. And then, you know, like we've seen over the past couple of years, it just – those late rounders are nothing nothing short. You know, a lot of men about a practice squad or, or end up getting cut, and it's, it's become more prevalent now. Teams don't keep all their draft picks just because they drafted them. Gone are the days where Dimitri Goodson's of the world are going to last several years, or at least hopefully not in Green Bay. So – you know, day three is is kind of your you know if, if one or two of these guys pan out, you did really well. Day, 
So we'll just kind of see how it shakes out. All right, Jake, on day three, who was your favorite pick of that group? Ooh, see, I, I, I'm kind of with Jason. I was heartbroken right when uh, Hakeem Butler went. Um, I was hoping and praying that he would have lasted the fifth round, but that clearly didn't happen. But I would say uh, my favorite pick of the, the, the entire day three was probably Dexter Williams from Notre Dame, the running back. I thought that, one, not only did he, he fit perfectly for what LaFleurs wants to do with his own blocking scheme, but I felt like he was just like a mirror image of what Aaron Jones is. His running style, his breakaway speed, everything you saw on film with this kid reminded me so much of Aaron Jones. Now, the question is, can he be uh, used in the, in the passing game a little bit like Aaron Jones? Now, they used him on like the Texas route a couple of times in there, but for me, I thought he was just so, like, just a perfect fit. One, because of, we don't know, we, we've seen sort of Aaron Jones get dinged up a couple of the last two years. So I think that it's it's a good thing to have a guy that kind of is similar to him, but a little bit a little bit bigger. Like, I believe he's like 5'11", 212 pounds. So I think that's a nice sort of, if, if Aaron Jones goes down, you have someone that can fit the scheme perfectly. I'm not sure Jamal Williams is that guy outside of the fact that he's a good pass blocker. Um, but I just, I think that it's, it's a great fit for what LaFleur wants to do and start building uh, his run game. So I think that that was my favorite pick. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm going to go uh, with Dexter Williams as well. I do like the Kingsley Kiki pick as well. Uh, but Dexter Williams, he's a running back. That's the position that's one of the easiest transitions to make from college to the pros. He fits the system like a glove. I think you're going to see him take carries from Jamal Williams. Guys, I'm going to do this one-name answer, no analysis, nothing like that, but it's a game Andy Herman played after the draft uh, that I think is kind of fun. So we're just going to go uh, Jake, then Jason as far as our order goes, and then I'll answer, and then we'll go to the next one. Okay, so favorite pick of the draft, Jake? Darnell Savage. Jason? Savage. Darnell Savage is mine as well. Biggest shock, I think this will be the same, Jake. Rashawn Gary. Yeah, Jason. Rashawn Gary. Jacob is Rashawn Gary as well. Uh, best value, Jake. Best value easily is Jay Sternberger. Jason? Sternberger. Yeah, all right, this is kind of boring. Jay Sternberger also. <laughs> uh, who's the most? Who's the player that you're the most excited to look more into? I would say Hollyman. I have I have really yet to look at him, but so yeah, I would say Hollyman. Okay, Jason. I gotta go with Kiki because he's the one I've seen the least on. Yeah, I'm gonna go with uh, Kingsley Kiki as well. I've seen some, but not a lot. And I, I like defensive lineman prospects. I love looking at that stuff. I just broke my own rule. I'm sorry. Who has the longest career? Ooh, I say Jay Sternberger. Okay. I'm gonna go with Savage. I'll say Elton Jenkins, and that's kind of cheating, but just because if you're an offensive lineman, that's pretty easy to do there. Uh, best storyline. This one should be unanimous if you guys all know the same story. That would be Holman. Oh. Yeah, for sure. All right, I was wrong. I'm Dexter Williams and his uh, his dying mother that tugs at my heartstrings as somebody who works with that population. So, um, What Packer is the most nervous player on the roster right now? Lane Taylor. Jason. I don't know. Mercedes list. 
Oh, that's not a bad answer. I'm going to go with Lane Taylor. I think it's very easy to see um, him being displaced as a starter. I don't know about him getting cut, but displaced as a starter. Guys, thank you so much for doing this with me. Uh, it was a lot of <laughs> Steph Curry just missed a dunk. That was funny. Um, sorry, guys. Thank you for doing this with me. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Guys, as I mentioned, uh, Jason and I are together. We are the duo here for the next uh, foreseeable future as far as Sundays go. Uh, so we'll be here until Zach and I are back. Uh, Jake, thanks for joining us. Uh, we got to figure out a way to get Andy to let you do this more regularly, but I enjoy the uh, southern accent that you bring to the show. That is phenomenal, um, and, and I enjoy talking to you whenever. So, Jake, tell everybody, where can we find you on Twitter and any potential work that you might put together? Yeah, I, I listen, I appreciate you guys having me on. It was a blast to come on tonight. So uh, you can follow me uh, on Twitter at Seeds of Jake. Uh, yeah, I don't have anything else to plug other than my Twitter right now. Yeah, that's that's okay, though, because there's plenty of good stuff that comes through there, guys, so go through that. Uh, like I mentioned, you can follow the show. It's at Packaday Podcast. You can follow me. I'm at Jacob Westendorf. You can follow Graybeard at Jason Perone. Thank you guys for joining. Uh, it's the end of the draft season, which means we are getting closer uh, to training camp. I believe Zach Cruz said two days ago that we're 84 days away, so that means we're now 82 days away from training camp, which will start on July 25th. I'm looking forward to that. I'm also looking forward to November 10th. Uh, Jason and I will be at Packers Panthers. So, Jake, if you ever want to make a trip to the great north, I'll buy you a spotted cow if you come up for that particular game. But uh, thank you guys, as always, for listening. End of the draft. Get ready for the season. And as always, go Pack Go! Six, trailing 30 to 23, two minutes straight up to go in the game. San Francisco showing a blitz through the A gap, but here they come. Rogers looking, throws left side of the end zone. Yes, yes, Adams, left corner of the end zone from Aaron Rodgers. 16 yard touchdown pass. The Packers an extra point away from getting this game tied. Beathard on third, down and three in the shotgun. Football to the 46 at Green Bay. Packers showing a blitz, and here they come. Beathard looking, hit as he throws it. Deep down the right sideline, and intercepted on the play. Spectacular interception by Kevin King at the nine-yard line of Green Bay. Sam to Rogers looking right. Throws the right side, St. Brown makes the touch. Oh, he reached back to gather it in. Using all 6'5 of his frame. Tumbled out of bounds. Inside the 30 of the 28-yard line. Snap to Rodgers. Looking downfield. Throws the left side. He's got it. Out of bounds. Inside the 10-yard line. Oh, my goodness. What a throw and catch. Again, they beat Maven down the left sideline. Hunter Bradley the snap. J.K. Scott down on one knee. Arm extended. Here it is. Placement made. Kick is up. It is good. It is good. Mason Crosby delivers the dagger. One week after his worst day ever, he delivers the dagger tonight. And the Packers win 33-30.